2: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Boat Hunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the budget-friendly solo or the 4K 5.0, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. This year we're also working with Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is machine learning for the deer woods. Basically, Spartan Forge takes collared deer studies, insurance car deer accident information, social media geolocations, and it couples that with weather, moon face, and rut activity to tell you when or when not to be in the woods. This currently has an online interface at spartanforge.ai, but the app is currently being built and set to launch late summer. Once the app goes live, you can expect there to be a price increase, but if you use code Bowhunter, you can save 25% and that will stick with you as long as you use the Spartan Forge services. So head on over to SpartanForge.ai and get your free 14-day trial. All right, today we've got a <laughs> action-packed uh, podcast with Jake Bush. Um you know, probably one of the most dedicated whitetail hunters, you know, we talk about what does it take to uh, kill these world class animals. And that's exactly what Jake has set out to do. So um, we talk about how that mindset comes about. So how do you decide that you're just going to try and kill only Boone and Crockett uh, deer, uh, uproot your whole life and, and chase them? What does it take? And then how does that translate to the regular guy? So guys like myself, guys like John, um, you know, we don't have 200 days a year to chase whitetails or we have other hobbies. We prioritize our time differently. Uh, but we still want to have fun. We still want to, uh, get out there and, um, uh, set goals for ourselves and, and, and how does that all come about and intertwine? And, uh, what can we learn from guys like Jake who are, uh, out there putting in all that time, seeing all of that, uh. Country, um, And that's what we've got today on uh, this podcast. Um, quick shout-out to our patrons, our Patreon group on Marco Polo. Um, I think there's, like, almost 50 people in there. Uh, if you're one of the patrons that's listening and you're not following along with that, it can get crazy at times with the amount of Polos. Uh, but they're talking about doing a – and it looks like we're going to do it – a uh, like a small game, like Critter Getter Contest. Um, so everybody can't be uh, – big buck, uh, killer, you know, what we want to be, we just don't have the time, but you know, everybody's got a million squirrels running around, you're shooting grouse while you're elk hunting, uh, all of these different things. And, um, you know, it just kind of came about organically. And I think that's what we're going to do. Uh, going to be kind of like a critter getter type league, um, amongst, the the Patreons and, um, Tyler, Tom, um, Alex, <laughs> Wyatt, they're all kind of, um, spearheading that, uh, whether they, uh, like it or not. Um, uh, that's something to check out. Like I said, we're, we're, we're going to be doing that. Um, so if you're not in that Marco Polo group, um, you've all got the link. Um, but, uh, for those of you that don't know, Patreon is uh, crowdfunding for creators. Um, and, uh, it allows us to do things like the microphone that I'm recording on the device that I'm recording on. Uh, it allows us to get better. Um, to improve upon the podcast, uh, do more things. But we also do uh, some incredible giveaways to give back. And uh, those happen quarterly this quarter. We're giving away um, a full uh, saddle setup. So we've got those tethered one sticks that may or may not be uh, available uh, again before the season. Uh, we're giving away a set of those along with uh, one of the new Latitude uh, Method 2s. And, um, we're going to give away a trophy line platform and uh, a set of ropes. So it'll be a complete, uh, package for, uh, a saddle hunter. Um, we're paired up with base map. Uh, so base map is, you know, one of the predominant, uh, e-scouting mapping softwares. Um, every day I use it. I find new features, and there's been updates. There's some really cool updates coming. I was just texting back and forth with Ed today. Um, but it's an incredible price, so $30 for the entire country for the entire year. You can use Code Chronicles. You can save 20%, so it ends up being $2 per month, $24 for the entire country for the entire year. Um, it's If you're not using... Um, uh, any sort of uh, mapping software or, you know, even just for finding your way out of the woods in the dark, um, that as a safety net, I use it every single day. Uh, I've been scouting uh, our elk hunt that's coming up and going on there, and it's just invaluable. Um, and so Base Map gives away one of their pro packages along with a swag pack shirt and hat uh, out to... Uh, one of our Patreons, as well as Spartan Forge uh gives a year membership away uh to that zinger fletchings uh they give away um a set of fletchings to uh someone dozen fletchings so uh there's some great benefits uh, there um the vitals live so live uh, interactive basically podcasts or webinars with uh you know guys like Andy May Greg Litzinger um, Johnny Eberhardt, uh, Garrett Peral, all of those guys. Um, and there's a f- free membership to that, too, for uh, for signing up for Patreon. And then we're uh, partnered with Tacticam. So Tacticam, we give away a quarterly package from them. I believe it is one of their um, LR spotters. Um, so we've got that. Um, we've been glassing some bucks up. John used it when he was out uh, elk hunting, um, and it's basically... Uh, standalone recorder uh, that you can just hook right up to your spotting scope and then you can zoom in digitally from there. Uh, So they're going to be giving away one of those and you can check any of that out at patreon.com forward slash Chronicles podcast or you can go to the link on Instagram. Uh, But that's basically uh, what Patreon is. Uh, But what it's become more is it's building a community so uh, we've got our own little group that's helping with uh, setups for the year, uh, scouting techniques, all of that, um, in a real time community. And, uh, that's really what, what we've been, been growing. And it's been, a, been a lot of fun and, um, you know, we really appreciate, uh, our patrons and we want to give back as much as we can. Uh, but if that's not your thing, no problem. Uh, we appreciate everybody that listens, you know, tell a friend, leave us a review, um, share it. Um, on social media, you know, if you get something on this podcast, um, but you know, we just appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. All right, everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles. I'm sitting here in the shop surrounded by literally 15 bows, broadheads, um, sights, all this stuff. We're a little bit late on this podcast because we're Going through uh, a, a problem, bow. Um But we've got a special guest on the, the uh, line tonight, Jake Bush, um, public land hunter, New York, Ohio. Um, great story. And uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit tonight about um, kind of like moving into that big buck territory and, and the progression that he's taken
3: to uh, get where he's at. So uh, how are you doing tonight, Jake? I'm doing great. I, uh, actually just got back from scouting about an hour and a half ago. I got a shower and I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, I'm going to hit you with a curveball right off the bat.
2: Um, I sent him over some questions and things. And, uh, so, uh, from listening to your other podcasts and stuff, it sounds like you're kind of like a Jeep guy. J- John has a, a JL. I just picked up a JK. Uh, what kind of Jeep are you driving and, and you, you, totaled one a uh, year or so ago too right so w- let's talk a little bit about jeeps off the off the get go
3: no, i like it uh i actually don't have a jeep right now i've got a different vehicle but you know everybody kind of thinks i still have some sort of jeep but i'm incognito at this point i'm trying to keep my my vehicle as low profile as possible so it could be a 1996 shagging wagon or it could be a uh brand new truck nobody really knows so
0: Feel <laughs> be, be like uh, Dan in fault and I break for
3: raccoons or whatever. <laughs> I gotta find one of those stickers. I've been looking, but
0: <laughs> that might be a giveaway now, though.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I would, I would definitely pick that out in a parking lot. Be like, I'm staying away from here. Dan's up there, right? So
2: let's get a little bit of your your backstory as far as um, like how you started out hunting and like your like growing up. Like, what was your your family's hunting style or did your family
3: hunt etc. Yeah, so uh I've I've always grown up around bow hunting. I uh got my first bow when I was 2 or 3 years old and I've just always loved shooting and I've always been fascinated with whitetails. Um I can I can remember some of my earliest memories that I can actually remember were you know being in a tree stand with my grandpa the old you know nailed in tree stands or he had a couple where we would like drill holes and we'd actually take an impact and put bolts into the tree and we climb up these bolts and i just i just remember all of those moments growing up and it uh it was something i it always consumed me and it's obviously evolved throughout the years but i grew up really hunting like basically farm country and hill country for the most part and really a lot of farm country so um, we had permanent stands, you know, my grandpa and my dad had a ton of ladder stands. They actually had this, they, uh, shooting tower. They built like, I don't know, some two by fours and some plywood, And they built like a 20 foot tall shooting tower that had a little coffee pot downstairs so they could make coffee. And we would sit up on top of this thing for days and days and days. And I had a milk crate so I could shoot my bow over it because I couldn't reach over the top. And, uh, some, it was just great memories, but the one thing that I always kind of caught on to is we would see really good bucks, but we could never get close enough to them. You know, the deer knew where our stands were at, especially the mature deer. And it didn't take me long to figure out, you know, what I, I didn't have a stand at the time, but I was like, you know, I can get down on the ground with my bow and go try to get close to these deer. And I was able to do that quickly. And, you know, it was kind of funny at first because my grandpa and my dad thought I was crazy. They're like, it'll never work. And I remember uh, uh, situation that was, you know, like perfect for that. We were up on that shooting tower and I looked across the field. There was a big alfalfa field and two nights in a row, a really good buck had crossed the corner of that field in daylight. And, you know, we're like 200 yards away from this deer. So the next night I told my dad and my grandpa, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to go try to kill that deer. And they're like, "I'm go for it, but you're not going to kill him. You don't have any chance. And, uh, I got down on the, edge of the field. And I, I was just like two or three yards within the golden rod. It just had like a little golden rod strip on the edge of it. And that buck came out perfect. I mean, at the time it was the biggest, they would have been bigger than anything. My grandpa and dad had shot up to that point. And he came out to about 10 yards and I drew back on him and I couldn't hit my release because I had, you know, my grandpa's release. I was using my grandma's target bow. I was using, I had a big pair of gloves on because it was cold, but just that encounter, on the first time I ever attempted to be mobile, it clicked in my head, you know, something changed. And so I always had that ground hunting mentality. Um, I was, I want to say 12 or 13 years old and I got my first summit climber and I would use that thing all over the place. You know, I would skip school and go hunt in the woods. I'd throw my climber on my back and I would just go walk until I found a scrape. That was a big thing I keyed in on when I was younger. killed a lot of bucks growing up like that. That was a big part of my style. Um I I used the climber for a long time and I joined the service. I was gone for a few years and when I came back, I really got into the hang on setup and that was just so much more versatile and that's uh that's where I'm at now. You know, it's 100% mobile, it's very aggressive. If I see a deer, or have any idea, if I have any inclination that a deer is in a specific spot, I'm going to go get as close as possible and try to kill him. And, you know, it works out two ways. Either I do kill him or I screw up, I bump him, he, he smells me, and I learn a lot. So to me, you know, it works out really the best of both worlds. Like I have everything I need from each situation like that. And that's that's how it's evolved for me throughout the years.
2: And so would you say it was that, that hunt there that, like, made you like into like a, a mobile hunter or was there, is there, a, I guess I'm just thinking of like later on, is there like a, another hunt that made you decide, um, Oh, because you're from, from what you're doing, getting in, you know, so close on these, uh, bedded deer and, you know, watching some of your videos over the past couple weeks, um, looking at them, and, and watching, um, you know, a, a lot of the bucks of the, like, like a couple of the bucks that you've just let walk by look almost identical to deer that I've killed over the past couple of years, um, here in Michigan. And it's like, you're just, you're just letting them walk, but they're coming right off of their beds. They're doing exactly what you thought. Um, is there a hunt that like made that your tactic or like made you get closer and closer and closer?
3: I was, I was mobile before I knew about buck betting, if that makes sense. You know, I was mobile in the sense that I was walking around looking for sign as a kid. I was looking for scrapes. I was looking, I paid a lot more attention to rubs back then. I was really just trying to learn like what a deer was doing and why it was doing it. And I didn't necessarily think about betting in the aspect I do now. You know, I, a lot of the, the betting knowledge that I have came from like uh, Dan Infall, Andre, Cody, you know, all these guys that I consider my idols at this point. I, I learned a lot from them. And then obviously, like already being mobile, when I learned about betting, I was like, oh, man, like it's done. I mean, I remember when Dan's videos came out, those DVD series, I watched, you know, the farm country, hill country, swamp, marsh, all of them. And it was like literally just light bulbs of situations that had happened to me over the years. And I couldn't figure out why did I see a buck there? You know, why did this happen? Why did this happen? And why did I kill this deer? And all of those pieces just like hit me like a train almost. I mean, I was just like, this is it. I know exactly what I need to do at this point. And then it was really a matter of putting boots on the ground, but and really learning it. but yeah, there was, there wasn't necessarily a specific hunt. I would say that that first hunt I mentioned was the first one that got me into the mobile hunting and then bed hunting was just picked up down the road. I actually got into bed hunting and my first hunt ever hunting a bed, I killed a good buck in New York. So I just had, you know, I scouted it. I knew where he was at. He was coming out to a field edge every night. And then based on wind, I knew he'd be there. I had some cameras in the area that were showing me the same thing. And New York bucks early season were really patternable for me. You know, I was, I think I went like six out of seven years killing a three or four year old buck. I'm talking real early, like first anywhere from the first day of season to like the first two weeks of season. And, uh, it was just the ability to get them on a pattern. And then when I could put betting over top of that, it was just lights out. And I guess from
2: that, perspective like we talked a little bit about before the the podcast you know so most of our listeners are what i would say like up and comers right so they're they're trying to to start to kind of learn to hunt deer to kind of come out from that uh preset stand mentality maybe they're just moving into to mobile um and there's so much information out there that there's there's like an overload. Well, do I need to hunt beds? Do I need to hunt scrapes? Do I need to, you know, hunt from a saddle? Do I need to be mobile? Do I need to hunt from the ground? Like, you know, Zach's doing uh, all this stuff. And, you know, we've always said on here, you got to get a few under your belt, you know, just kill some deer and, and, and learn what what works for you. Um, but a lot of the things that you talk about in listening and conversations with uh, Byron and stuff is like about that confidence. So you're, you're saying when you went out there and, you know, you didn't get a chance to, to kill that deer from the ground just because of, you know, equipment or experience or, or whatever, but it all came together. It should have happened. Right. Um, and you talk about going out before the season and doing a full setup on a bed. And if that buck stands up or even if you bump him out of there, you know, your plan is going to work that, that confidence. And I've, I've encountered that where I'm not a a bed hunter, but I had one hunt where I had seen a buck previously. There was only one place he could have been. I moved in and got too close and he stood up 60 yards from me and, and bolted off. But that's what lit the fire in me to say, you know, I can do this and, and it could work. Um, I guess what do you have to say to like the the listeners or people that are trying to to kind of I, I guess convert for the first time to, for that to to add to um you know gaining some of that confidence or where does confidence come into to your hunting style
3: So the the first thing um you know your setup is probably the least of that percentage of what's going to kill a big buck like the recipe for killing uh, mature buck, you know, you can use a saddle, you can use a stand, you can ground hunt. I personally use a hybrid just because it's easier to film. And I feel like I can set up on any tree, but I could kill most of the deer I kill from the ground. I could kill them three feet off the ground. I could kill them 40 feet off the ground. It really doesn't matter. So, you know, you want you want to get to the point where you have your setup dialed for you. Nobody else's setup matters. You don't have to have the latest and greatest equipment out there If you have a climber, use that. If you have nothing, you know, go ground hunt. Whatever you're doing, you can kill them with the equipment that you have. As long as you have your own equipment fine-tuned, that's what matters. You know, you can, if you have the best stuff out there and you don't know how to use it, it's pointless. So once we get that to the side, you know, that's, that's a big thing to kind of get over. And the reason I say that is I really want all the listeners to focus on killing the deer. You know, like there's a lot of summer prep where guys are just working on gear constantly. Put that to the side and focus on killing a deer. What do you have to do? You know, it's summertime right now. So for me to build up confidence, you know, that comes from, uh, from my summer scouting that comes from encounters throughout the summer. You know, today I hiked six and a half miles in an area that last night I glassed five bucks that were all at least three and a half years old in the same field so i already had five cameras in there but i didn't have cameras on the food source that they were coming to because i didn't think they'd come to that so i went in to put two more cameras in there and what i'm doing is i'm helping myself build that confidence you know i want to find i already know where they're bedded i have all the beds located there i found some really good sheds there i know where their fall food source is and i know where their winter food source is their early season food source is actually going to be those fields. So I had to fine tune my setup a little bit because I wasn't planning on that happening. But you know, for me, it comes from all of that. It comes from really believing that you're doing the right things. And then it just, over time, you just get more and more of those encounters and it just, it's like a snowball gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually you get to the point where, you know, like I can open up a map, and pick a spot in hill country down here on public. And I almost guarantee you there's a mature buck in that area because I can look at a map and say, you know what? Chances are there's not going to be a lot of guys back there because it's got some, it doesn't always have to be a, like a long distance to access it, but it's got a weird access. You know, the spot I was at tonight, I had to walk around a big chunk of private to get back to the public. Like I had to do a three and a half mile loop, to get up against the edge of the private where those bucks are coming off the public onto the private right there. So there's, and there's a couple hubs down there. I wanted to get cameras in, but from the road, I mean, you could throw a rock and hit the public. You just can't get to it. So that's a, that's a really big part of it. And uh, like I said, really just having those encounters, you know, you have to put yourself in the position to have those encounters, you know, say over the last 10 years, if I would have, sat way back off of betting or, you know, just out of the game in general, observation sets, anything like that on a regular basis, I would have never had all the experiences that I've had to give me the confidence that I have now. You know, I bumped so many deer. I've killed a lot of deer doing this. I've had so many just learning lessons that were really valuable that I feel like that all just adds to the equation over time. And I'm sure that any of the, you know, really successful guys out there, like much more successful than myself are doing the same thing. And they have that same confidence. And I think it can get portrayed as cockiness sometimes. And it's not, it's just, they really believe in themselves. And that's the biggest piece to this whole thing. You know, if you have confidence going into a spot, you're going to be on your toes. You know, you're looking at every little piece of sign. You're, you're, probably already know where that buck's going to be bedded. You probably already know where he's going to be feeding and you're going to go in there and you're going to attack him as opposed to walking in the woods and just setting up on like a trail. You know, that's not a confidence set. you have to have a, basically a game plan in mind. You know, you're playing chess with whatever buck you're after. You have to be able to get as close as possible and put yourself in position.
0: So how many days Out of the the year, do you go out and scout like this, like early season? So,
3: I I map scout every day of the year for probably a minimum of a half hour and sometimes up to 12 to 14 hours. I'm always map scouting and that's, I'm at the point now where I've map scouted on, it sounds crazy, but probably 95% of the public land in Ohio so i'm venturing out a little bit more you know i'm starting to map scout west virginia kentucky indiana illinois i'm i'm venturing out and then boots on the ground uh for me it's a lot it would if i had to put a day a number of days on it i work i'm scheduled to work half the days out of the year but i probably get out 50 days after work at least a little bit and i'm probably I would have to say over 200, it's gotta be over 200 days of boots on the ground, scouting, hunting, or shed hunting every single year.
0: Whoa.
2: And so I, I guess from, and I sent you this earlier, you know, as I said, you know, Jake is one of these guys that, you know, is a white tail junkie. I mean, if you didn't get that from what he just said, you weren't listening, right? So for an average guy who's just starting to make this transition, who's maybe not ready to pack up and move to Ohio or not in the position to move to Iowa or Kansas, you know, to be able to do this on a regular basis. I would say maybe a more common scenario is, you know, a lot of guys will go out and they'll, glass fields and things with their family, go see deer, um, other things like that. So let's just give you a scenario and kind of see how you would break that down. Um, from your perspective, how's that sound?
3: Yeah, that sounds great. And one other thing too, you know, I'm scouting that much and I have boots on the ground that much because I'm, I'm chasing world-class bucks. If I wanted to step that back a little bit, you know, I could probably put in even 10 days a year and get on three to four mature bucks. You know, I'm, I sent a picture of the bucks I saw on the field last night to my buddy. And he goes, man, you gotta, you gotta chase one of those. Right. And or that's like a target buck. And I was like, that's not even in the top five. Like I don't even post my top five. And he couldn't believe that, but that's the amount of work that goes into it. You know, it, it doesn't require that much work, but I'm fine tuning probably close to a hundred mature bucks down to the top five. And that is, that's the next level. So I just wanted to get that out there. You know, it doesn't take that to go kill a mature buck and we're going to get into that. I'm sure.
2: Sure. Sure. So let's say that you're, you're out driving around. Let's say you came to Michigan and I know you said that you had hunted Michigan last year, late season and got on some deer, but let's just say you're, you're, I guess kind of maybe like take it like an out-of-state hunt, right? So you're going, you're, you uh, uncharacteristically haven't uh, map scouted for months at a time. Um, you've just looked at some areas that you want to go check out and you see some, uh, you know, ag fields and stuff like that. You go out in glass and you do see a deer or, you know, a bachelor group of bucks that you would like to kill. Uh, you don't have uh, cameras in the in the area yet, because this is the first time you're seeing them. What is your next step? How are you, what are you focusing on? You know, as soon as you see these in, in, I guess it would even translate to if you saw a buck that you did want to kill, that would make the top five. Like what do you automatically go to? What's your first step?
3: And we're talking for like killing him early. See, like the first couple days of season, like right at the opener, or is this going to be like a, late October, a rut hunt, late season, whatever. Well, I'm assuming like early. Well, I'm just saying. Yeah, let's go with early.
2: Yeah, early, like right now. Like you see them right now.
3: Okay, perfect. Because my approaches would be quite a bit different based on that. Um, as far as early season goes, I actually, had that situation happened to me a uh, couple weeks back. I think it's been like three weeks now. But basically, I, was, I do a ton of glassing right now as well. And I was driving to a spot to glass. And there's a little piece of public that I've looked at, but I wasn't, you know, it was a spot that I was like, yeah, I could hold a good one. It's pretty tough access, but I have so many resources out right now and I have so much going on that I'm going to push that spot unless I drive by that field and see a good one at some point. And that's exactly what happened. I drove by that field actually coming back from glassing. I had a bad glassing mission and it's just gray light right about dark. I look out in this field and boom, 170 inch, 10 points staring at me. I mean, just an absolute giant velvet buck with like four or five other bucks. So first thing I did right away, you know, I basically pulled off the side of the road. I glassed him. I was like, man, this buck is a top five buck. Like this is a deer that I want to target. And, uh, I got back on the maps. Like I, I was like, yeah, this, you know, this ridge system faces northeast-ish so it sets up perfect for a southwest wind pulled out my phone and Or my Wonderground on my phone and southwest wind Right on the money. So I was like, I know that buck's got to be bedded up there And i'm gonna go in in a couple days. I'm gonna do a quick scout of the area I'm gonna look for some hub scrapes because there's a really good drainage that comes out of there And i'm gonna hang cameras up and then i'm gonna glass that more often so that that started that whole sequence of events for me you know i i did go in i went in there and i found a couple really good scrapes i didn't find any hunter sign like it's probably only three or four hundred acres it's a small chunk of just hill country surrounded by private and uh sets up really good so i put up my cameras on those scrapes and i put up a camera like in a rut location as well just to kind of you know i won't check that one until probably january-ish but uh, got a lot of good intel, and I have a plan to go in there if he continues that same pattern and kill him. I mean, yeah. that was the process that I took.
2: And when you're hanging that camera, like, how are you hanging that camera? Because I have a, I mean, I have a similar situation right now where I know where uh, a couple of good bucks are betting. That's absolutely bulletproof for the deer, so it's going to have to be a morning hang. In their bed, and you know, just try and get get the wind to be right, um, and get them coming back. I think that's almost the only way to do it. But um, I don't know. Like, if I want to go put a camera in there, it doesn't do me any good to go check around it, or you know, it's. I, I'm. I feel like I'll bump them out of there. So, how are you setting up in that? particular situation do you want to see him in his bed do you want to see travel entrance and exit routes i mean other than the the rut you know kind of like movement type
3: spot so once i find the bed you know like i saw him i was like okay he's bedded up here there's a really good military crest there's a couple logging roads on the side of the ridge it's like there's a in this general area he's bedded and i got up there and there was actually a couple blowdowns that created a thick area on top of it and so it's like Lights out bedding. You know, there's hair in the bed. It was really fresh. There's deer poop all over the place. Lots of good historical rubs leaving that bedding area. And for me at that point, it's, you know, what I'm looking at for early season is he going to stay on the food source he's on now? Is that going to continue to be the destination or is it going to get cut? Is it going to be beans that gets cut? Because that's going to change everything drastically by the opener. And if that isn't the primary food source come season? What is the primary food source? If that is the primary food source, what's the first thing he's going to do when he gets out of his bed and start heading in that direction? You know, is he going to get up out of his bed and walk 20 yards and hit a big uh, community scrape? Is he going to hit a white oak tree that's laying 50 yards away from the bed? What is he going to do? And that's what I really try to fine tune. That's how I'm really successful early season, it's not just about knowing where they're gonna end up at dark and where they're bedded, where are they gonna go when they get up and how can I put myself in a position where I can shoot that deer when he gets up. You know, like most of my setups I'm within eighty to a hundred yards of a bedded buck, but I'm also on that first either scrape or food source that he wants to hit when he gets up. And that's very important. You know, if you're you can be within that distance of a buck and you have a one out of four chance he gets up and walks within bow range You know, he could walk any degree of that circle That's why you really have to fine-tune where he wants to go So i'm looking for specific oak trees. I'm like looking for those scrapes. Like I talked about i'm looking for You know, if, uh, if I look at his bed What are his tracks doing leaving that bed? Are they going down the hill? Or are they going up the hill? Can I catch his track in that creek bottom? I'm trying to put all these pieces together that's how you take your bed hunting to really the next level is by all the little fine details.
0: So do you ever like just get in the bed and look around and what's like, what is he seeing? Is that how, I mean. Yeah. Every time.
3: So every time that I get into a bedding area, I'll locate and pin every single bed I find because not only is a mature buck in there, but he could have a satellite buck in one of the other beds and if I don't know that bed's there and I'm trying to push through that bedding area to within 80 yards of the primary bed and there's a two-year-old buck in that first bed, I just bumped him right through that bedding area. Like that's not going to help me at all. So I get in every bed and I see what every bed can see from, you know, every angle possible. I'll, I'll stand up, I'll lay down, I'll try to figure out everything they can see. I'll try to like pay attention to noises too. Can they hear the Creek down the bottom or is it like, enough noise coming from that Creek where I'll be able to walk up slowly, you know, is it really deep ditches leading through like the drainages of the woods? Because if it is, I can get down in that ditch and a, I can't be seen, but B I can't be heard. You know, I'm trying to put all those pieces together.
2: Okay. So, so now you've got that, you've got a plan as far as like where he, you think he's going to go once he gets up. Um, Let's talk about like your like setup, setup time, and then entrance and exit. So as you're you're planning to you know so you so you've got you know where he wants to come in, how are you entering and exiting? Are you hunting in the morning? Are you hunting in the the evening? Um, are you hunting all day? You know, and we're talking early season, same scenario, same deer you just you
3: just outlined so as far as my access goes um i I really don't hunt mornings a whole lot i basically only hunt the afternoons early season because the reason being is i really like the ball being in my hands you know i just feel like if you're in a bedding area and you're set up before light for a specific wind it can be in my opinion you're it can be difficult to pin what that buck's gonna do like hopefully he j hooks in but maybe he doesn't do that every time and you're just leaving a little bit of it up to him you know he has a decision he basically has a choice in the matter where in the afternoon like i'm in my head he's there and i'm gonna go in as close as possible and i'm gonna kill him so i'm an afternoon hunter for the most part and uh, as far as access goes with being an afternoon hunt you know your thermals are rising up to the bed the majority of the time I'm playing the thermals and I'm playing the wind. And I'm trying to figure out however I can get into the other side of where that deer is going to be going to that first either scrape or food source. Sometimes I'll swing way around like two or three miles. Sometimes it's a direct path. Sometimes it's through a Creek. It's very situational. Um, when I actually get to a tree, my it takes me forever to get set up. And, you know, I always see on social media guys are, You know, like having contests or bragging about I can be set up in a tree in three and a half minutes, like 27 feet high. And that's great. But you're not going to do that within 80 yards of a six year old buck on public land. It's not going to happen. And that's where that's one of the things I've really fine tuned over the years is just like the patience factor of that. You know, I'll get in basically on my way walking in, I'll be throwing milkweed, verifying that the thermals are right. The wind is right. I've got everything going my way. If it's super crunchy, I won't really walk a lot until there's like a squirrel chatter or a Jay sounding off a breeze, something to cover my sound a little bit. And I'll just continue walking forward. I get to the tree. I set my equipment down and hang my first stick. And I basically won't hang a stick or my stand until same thing there's got to be some sort of cover noise uh generally i like to be on the back side of the tree reason being is they just can't see me and it helps to mute that sound a little bit but i'm so close to a lot of these deer that a lot of times like when i'm actually going from my last stick to my stand they can see my tree stand at 80 yards but they're just not paying attention i'm so slow and methodical with it that i can get away with that little bit of movement and you know i'll have enough cover as well that's the other thing is if i have to be three feet off the ground because that's got more cover i'm going to be three feet off the ground i'm not going to skylight myself at 25 feet but there's a lot of times i do have to get up that high to like shoot a logging road it's it's just situational the whole thing's going to be extremely situational don't feel like you need to be 40 feet up or on the ground or you have to speed up the tree or anything like that you know i was talking to these guys earlier and i was telling them or actually they brought it up but there's been times where I've hung off the side of a tree by a lineman's belt for two hours, two and a half hours and got up in the stand and killed my buck a half hour later. Like it's pushing it to the limits, but it's all situational and you have to have patience when you get to the tree.
2: So you're narrowing it down, say to like five specific deer that you want to kill. And you're, I've heard you say, and it, it makes a lot of sense that you're picking out deer that can be killed. So, you know, there's some places where you know where the deer is, is big deer, but it's just, you know, the odds aren't really in your favor. The deer has more of the advantage. Um, For a guy that spends so much time in the woods, you have to have, you know, a myriad of different spots and options. Um, How are you choosing your day's, to hunt and where or are you hunting every single day somewhere or are you taking days where you don't have a good wind for any of the spots so you're doing in-season scouting until you find you know the the area that you want to be in that has you know now you've got scrapes that are opened up and you're seeing tracks and you know where there's a deer bedded so you know if he's going to be there he's going to come down how, how are you picking and choosing in prioritizing your hunts.
3: So all three of those, uh, yes. I mean I do I do every one of those. So early season, you know, I'm trying to kill the first, let's say, really the first day, but I'm trying to kill the first week. I'm trying to be really efficient. So I'm locating these bucks that are the class I want to take, and I'm really trying to figure out which one at that point is the most killable. And there's a lot of factors that go into that. You know, I've got a couple of spots that are just basically wide open hardwoods and a buck beds up on top where he's got wind advantage and thermal advantage. And he dumps down the hill, the wide open hill and hits a big community scrape like right before dark. But if I'm anywhere near that scrape, that deer has been watching me for a hundred yards. So I can't even kill him unless it's, you know, later October I get extremely lucky. So I don't target him and he's huge. I mean, this year that deer is going to be like probably high seventies. He's a huge buck. I just have trouble targeting him. So I'm trying to find deer that are more patternable. It's a little thicker cover and, that uh, are maybe even moving a little bit more based on the trail camera pulls. Uh, I pull all my cards in mid September. So right now I've got 34 cameras out and I'll go pull every card mid September. And that way I have like real time Intel of that area. You know, when is this buck hitting it? What's he doing? And I'll, uh, go through all of those card polls and verify specific wind direction, you know, heat for the day, wind velocity, all these different factors to try to figure out which buck is going to be the most killable. If I get into, uh, like a late October hunt or a rut hunt, that's when I really start boots on the ground scouting in season beyond like my scouting in every day. You know, I scout into hunt every time, but I really start, I mean, there's times I won't even take my bow with me late October because I'm just flying across ridges and bottoms trying to find a big scrape. If I get in that situation, which I, I hope doesn't happen, but every once in a while it does. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the two different situations.
2: Cause there's a lot of guys that will say, oh, you know, the October lull, or I'm just not a good early season, you, you know, what? After the bachelor groups uh, break up or the feeding patterns change, you know, I'm not, you got to find the deer again, right? So you think they may have gone here or there. So they're like, well, it's not a good day to hunt. I'm just going to, just going to scout. Um, but it sounds like you've done most of your scouting on the front end. So that's n- not concerning to you. You know where they're going to go next
3: generally. Yeah, and that's just based on over the years, kind of figuring out what food sources they want to hit at certain times of the year. Um, A lot of my cameras that I have out right now are really dry because they're down in like bean fields in the bottoms. But as soon as those beans are cut and the acorns fall, my cameras are already in place, they're already ready to go. So when they move back, you know, I'm anticipating that shift into their late summer, early fall pattern. And, uh, that's what I'm banking on basically. So I can glass a lot of my bucks right now, knowing I'm going to kill them a half mile away, that they're going to back way back up on that Ridge because they're still generally betting in the same locations. They're just traveling down to those bean fields at night.
2: Okay. Now, one thing I haven't heard you talk much about, and I'm curious, um, how, uh, I guess if you kill on the first day or the first week, maybe it isn't such a big issue. Um, but how does pressure affect what you're doing? Cause you're putting it. I mean, I just think about like when John and I were in Ohio, like we didn't know that there's, you know, local guys or guys that are around that have spent 200 days, you know, hanging cameras every which way you know we just go on to a piece of public and just could really mess up your day right (laughs) i mean so how how is that how does that affect you know your your hunts um as the season progresses
3: yeah you know it's really rare that i actually find somebody in my spots and that's a matter of that 200 days that I'm spending I'm I'm trying to get away from people first and foremost. If you're in a state like Ohio, if you're anywhere but especially if you're in a state like Ohio or Midwestern state, if you find an area that doesn't have hunters or that has less hunters, there's going to be big bucks there. They're not getting killed. You know what I mean? So that's the number one thing that I'm focusing on is the absence of hunters. And so I'm like I said earlier, I'm finding these spots that not necessarily are deep. I do have some deeper spots, but that are just like a a weird access or a really overlooked spot in general. And, uh, early season, there's not a lot of pressure. That's why I take my vacation. My first week of vacation, I take the first week of season and i never, I mean, last year I did have one instance where it was a little bit different. I did see a guy, but I almost never see anybody early season. And As that progresses, you know, like even through mid October, you're going to be fine. But late October, yes, there's going to be pressure. Your deer are going to be getting shifted around a little bit. And that's where just being mobile in general and being able to have the ability to scout in real time is going to pay off. Like we were talking about earlier, you can walk around and find a really hot scrape, you know, at the bottom of a clear cut, or you can find a bunch of different situations where you can get on good bucks. And just basically work around the pressure. And, you know, every once in a while, it's very rare, but every once in a while I will have somebody walk by me or normally it's not a hunter. Normally it's like a hiker or somebody illegally driving a four-wheeler on public, just out partying, basically. That's more the pressure that I'm seeing than actual hunters, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I think we've run into all of that in Ohio. <laughs> um, so, Yeah. I guess I'm just trying to think about, like, for the listener, you know, what are your keys to, I guess, avoiding people? Is it just basically grid searching the entire state of Ohio um, as best as possible to say, well, that doesn't look like anybody's been here? Or is it finding those strange access
3: type places? I would say, yeah, you can get on a map and find that weird access spots. The majority of the ones that I found started with just e-scouting, you know, I've driven by a couple and found good spots, but generally it's e-scouting and just realizing like, man, that, that river looks like it's probably pretty deep. And I bet you on the other side of that, like it's leeward ridges. And I bet you nobody hunts back there because they have to cross that big river or, there's a highway like, Hey, this is a main highway where really to hunt it. You're going to have to get like dropped off or you're going to have to park in an ungodly place and walk your ass off to get back in there. It's, it's always something different. You know, the one thing I do not do at all is hunt anywhere near a parking lot in Ohio. If you go by a parking lot, public land, mid October, late October, you're going to have hunters in that parking lot and that's the kind of pressure i'm seeing i'm seeing guys that are in like the really easy to access spots they're not in the hard to access spots and it's something that has to be acquired a little bit too because it's uncomfortable when i uh killed my big buck two years ago i i got out of my jeep closed my door and i got yelled at by one of the locals they were they were screaming at me but I did my due diligence and I called the game warden before I went to that spot because I knew the access was weird. And I verified with a latitude and longitude, like a GPS coordinate that I was okay to be there. And he said, Hey, you're probably going to get flack from the locals, but you're good to go. And so that was, you know, that was awkward. Like it was a very uncomfortable situation for me, but it paid off. I killed a 180 inch deer that night. So that's the other side of it too, is just finding comfort in like the uncomfortable areas that nobody else wants to park or wants to go, or you think your vehicle is going to get messed with or just all of that in general. And I've heard you say that
2: you have done enough like scouring of the forums and things. So if, if you can do a search on a piece of public land, whatever state, um, and there's big, long threads about it,
3: you're avoiding those, like, as a as a rule, correct? Yeah, yep. So, you know, Google any of my spots that are really good, and you're not going to find them on Google. Yeah, there's a lot of areas in Ohio that are just, like, just killer spots, or they were killer spots back in the day, but you Google that area, and there's every forum out there has just hundreds of threads on that spot. I'm staying away from that. You know, I'm paying attention to all the Facebook pages where guys are talking about where they're, you know, seeing a good buck or anything like that, or they're seeing a bunch of hunters or anything, pay attention to all of that and try to find the areas that nobody else is going to. There's a lot of them. You know, I was same thing in Michigan. We got an area of Michigan that was public after gun season and we got on pretty good bucks because it was a spot. I've, I've never heard anybody talk about that spot, big swamp, but there was no information on it at all. And it was really uncomfortable being there for a couple of different reasons, but it was, it almost paid off for us. I mean, we got on bucks, so that's, that's something I really pay attention to.
2: And the one thing you said earlier about going after like world-class type bucks, um, I guess, how did that come about? Because, you know, for, for myself and I would have to say, uh, John is probably in that same boat is that that just doesn't come into like even my thought process, like going into the season, like I want to have fun. I want to, uh, you know, get on some good deer. I want to try to apply all the things that I've learned. Um, but trying to shoot Michigan state record really, I mean, it'd be cool, but it isn't like what's driving my, uh, you know, my season at, at this point. So, uh, how did you kind of make that, that jump from, you know, two, three, four year old deer to say, all right, I'm going to kill, you know, we're, we're going for, for Boone and Crockett or, or, or better.
3: So it, I'm an ailer guy, you know, I shed hunt like crazy last year on public, I found 49 sheds total. And I'm just, I love antlers. Um, I grew up, obviously, in New York, like I talked about, and we just didn't have really big bucks there. You know, I'd kill three, four, even five-year-old deer there consistently, and they just weren't very big, which is fine. I mean, I was 100% okay with that, and I loved it, but I just wanted to go to an area with bigger deer, and I wanted to be able to chase the biggest deer in the area I could find. And it just consumes me. I mean, it's... I don't necessarily know it's about antler size at this point, but I think it's about just the matureness of that animal. Like for a buck to sport the rack that I'm looking for at this point, he's got to be just an old giant gnarly smart buck. And there's something about when it all comes together, you know, when I put all this work in all year, I do all the glassing, all the e-scouting, all the boots on the ground, all the cameras, I pull cameras and, I basically set up this whole game plan in my head. there's something about going into that spot with every intention of killing that deer, watching him stand up out of his bed and walk 50 yards and sticking an arrow in him. I mean, it's a feeling that I cannot even begin to explain and it just consumes me. I mean, it's, it's all, it's all I think about. It's, it's crazy, man. I really wish I had a better answer for you, but that's really it. Well, I'm just thinking about like, Where did it, where did it
2: start? Like, did you, did you kill like a, I don't want to say by accident, but did you kill one that was in that class that, that you were, or you, you, I mean, I I hear about it from talking to other big buck guys and they'll be like, I heard about this buck in this area and I got to go kill him. Or you glass went up and you saw him and you said, okay, it's going to be that deer or nothing. And then you killed that deer. And then it's like that's where you got the bug type thing because for me yeah, to make was, that jump right now, it, you know, I don't, I don't have the,
3: the, the resume to to say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Right. So what it was for me, my first year in Ohio, you know, basically I, I moved down here for bigger box and I put out a bunch of cameras in June of 2019 and i was at that point in time i was i would have been thrilled with a 140 that was my goal moving here i was like i want to kill like 140 inch deer and i checked my cameras the first time after i only had seven cameras out at the time i believe and i checked my cameras and i had three bucks that were pushing boone and crockett and that wasn't even counting the one i killed and so it was really the fact that i had gotten in these spots through scouting and through boots on the ground and all this work. And that was the caliber of deer that was in those areas. And so at that point I'm like, man, I want to kill those bucks. Like I would get a 140 on camera and I'm like, uh, it's a good buck, but that's nothing compared to the deer that I have on camera. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and I mean, I guess it's just
2: goes back to that, that confidence thing. Right. So you well, watch it.
0: It's the progression of, you know, Getting, getting, seeing those bucks and how you got them on there. And you're like, well, why go after this
3: one when I can go after those? Right. Yeah. And disclaimer too, I mean, that's an Ohio thing for me. You know, I go back to New York and same thing with Michigan. If a hundred inch Michigan buck walks out on public in front of me in a swamp, I'm sticking them all day long and I will be just as pumped as killing a 180 down here. It's not necessarily the pursuit of those... That's just what what I have here. That's what I have in Ohio, and that's what I can find here. But when I'm out of state, I'm really realistic with my expectations. I mean, I'm pumped to kill three year old bucks out of state. You know, I've got Kansas this year, I've got New York this year, I've got potentially West Virginia or Kentucky, and I'm going after three year old bucks. Like, I'm going to kill deer. But in my home state where I can put all this work in, yeah, I just like to elevate.
2: Yeah. And so, um, in, in, one of your videos i think it was this year's video um you kind of alluded to it you kind of talked about it a little bit when you were talking about your uh toyota shagging wagon um and just you've kind of burst onto the scene as far as like i mean how many podcasts have you been
3: on so far Oof probably <laughs> it's it's got to be like probably thirty five or forty of them Right. So uh, how has that
2: affected, like, your, uh, I don't know, do you feel, like, pressure other than, like, to yourself? Um, to
3: Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel a little bit of pressure, and it's mainly tactic talk. You know, like, I'm trying to help all these guys, tactic-wise, get a little bit better. And beyond the pressure, you know, the, the podcast thing for me, what it's really evolved into is... I don't ever want to be like a rich, famous hunter. I don't, that's not me. I just, I want people to be able to go out and experience what I can feel in the woods chasing around a deer, you know, and I want them to have that same experience of putting these pieces together, the chess match and arrow in a buck and sitting in the stand three miles deep on public, shaking their asses off all by themselves like that, it's just the most amazing feeling in the world to me, and I want as many people as possible to experience that. That's what this whole thing is for me. And so it's beyond the pressure, you know. I don't necessarily, I don't even think guys would ever even look up to me. Like I'm just a regular hunter that happened to lay down a couple good bucks in the process, and I'm going to continue to try to do that. But I'm I'm just here to help more than anything else.
2: Well, I think that's a great way to go about it, and a great like thought process, you know, and what you had said earlier is like you said, you know, a lot of these guys, um, it, it may sound arrogant or it may sound this or that. And I think some do, um, for sure. Cause I think, you know, some are, I mean, there's guys out there that, you know, think that they are the, the best hunter and they don't care. And you know some of them aren't on podcasts or anything. They're they're guys you'll you'll run into or you've you've maybe known your whole lives. Um, But I I think from that aspect of coming into it, saying I just want people to feel like the way that I feel, and to you know you're you're kind of like up against yourself um, because of all the work that you're putting in and and everything that you're doing. um, It would be quite. I, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, putting in hundreds of miles and, you know, hundreds of days a year and then, you know, not being able to do it, but it isn't, I guess, not being able to kill a deer not being able to get it done. And I, it, it's, it's not that for you, you, you're just doing all the work to necess- I guess, validate, you know, what you're doing. You're, you're saying, okay. I have all of these options where a guy like me or John, you know, we put in, you know, infinitely less time and we're out there and I have confidence when I go out there, but I don't have confidence. Like I know exactly where this deer is and what's going on. And it's, it goes back to, to that progression. And so that was my, that was my thinking as as you you know, kind of like say, just kind of like burst on the scene where you killed some really great bucks and you put out some really great, you know, basically films, you know, you're not putting out videos like we're putting out, like, look at me, I just shot this deer. I'm, I'm super pumped. You're like telling the entire story and, uh, and doing that and at a very high, high level. So I just, that, that was the basis of the question is like, how has it
3: affected you and your your thoughts going into it you know yeah and there there is pressure there for the sole fact of like basically like you said it's it's proving it to yourself almost and you know you talk about you listen to some of the older guys that are really successful you know i've heard dan talk about it a little bit how you almost have like this chip on your shoulder a little bit like you want to prove to yourself you're you're good enough at it and you can do it and you're work 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 and you're putting in all this time and hammering away. And then eventually, once again, that progression, you evolve and you get away from that. And then maybe you're not even killing as big a bucks as you used to, because you're okay with that at that point. And that's 100% fine. And it is, it's just, it's, it's that evolution, I guess. And, you know, the other side for me too, is I put in a lot of work for my friends and my family. You know, my buddy from Michigan came down last year and day one, Halloween I put him in a spot that had a really good buck. He saw that buck and he killed another buck by like nine thirty in the morning. Uh, my brother's coming down this year, you know, my dad's coming down and it, it even goes further than that. I always wanted to get my grandpa a good buck and I lost my grandpa a couple of years ago. And that's really one of the driving factors and why I moved and why I'm doing any of this was to really make him proud on, of, of what I was doing because we were, we were so big into the deer hunting thing together, you know, like I grew up alongside Papa shooting bows and hunting and I, I want my family to experience that as well. And I just want to put as many people on bucks as I can.
0: Well, we're heading your way <laughs> <laughs>
3: there, I, Hey man, I got, when I say I have a unbelievable amount of deer pattern, it's, I've got a lot of bucks. I don't even look at that are beautiful bucks because like, as you know, I'm after the top five I find.
2: So I have a, a strange, um, thought process on that. Like you have to feel great, you know, having your buddy come down or, or putting someone on a buck because again, it, it's that validation of all the work that you put in that, you know, essentially you were right. But like for me, man, I want to learn how to do it myself. Like I I really, really do. Like I would love to oh, for sure. to come down and you know, have a whole bunch of pins and say, All right, Jake, this is you know this is the area we're going. I've looked here, 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 here on the map. Like, what do you think about these spots? And then you pull up your map and you say, okay, well, you're just a little bit off and here's why or, or, or whatever. But just to be like, cause I mean, that's how I grew up hunting. Like as I started bow hunting with Frank, he just can't went and put me in the woods here or there. And I, I didn't never pay attention to why I was there or how I was there. It was just, you know, we were hunting deer and I saw some today or I didn't, but there was no, there was no thought that goes into it. So for me on this end of the the podcast side is like, I'm not trying to pretend like I'm a great hunter. I'm trying to learn as much as I can, um, to, to be able to put all those pieces together, like exactly what you're saying so that I can be the guy that's out there saying that I did it versus, you know, I mean, I could do the same thing in Ohio I just have to pay somebody a thousand bucks and they do the same thing. Say, Hey, go to this pin and <laughs> sit there. Oh, you yeah, know? <laughs>
3: exactly. Yep. 100%. And that's, you know, a lot of those, like my family, they're just, they're not, they're not into it like we are. And that's the thing is for them, like they come down, they want to kill a buck and if I can give them an experience, absolutely I'm going to do that. But yeah, I totally respect where you're coming from. But I mean, that's how I am. You know, I want to learn, I want to be able to do it. And I want to be able to figure it out on my own.
2: Yeah. And I want to be, you know, I want to be happy with what I've accomplished. You know what I mean? So like if, if this year, like I told, I've already told John, like there's a spot that I've got that I'm trying to figure out. And, you know, if I get a crack at a, you know, 85 inch buck in there, I'm going to kill him because I've put so much time and like trying to figure this out and wanting to see like what happens in there. And it's just kind of like me validating that, you know, that, that I can kill a deer in there, <laughs> not necessarily that there's a
3: giant in there. Yeah. 100%. I totally, totally understand that. And, you know, that's, a, that's a whole nother level in itself too, because you're taking basically an area, right? Like you're like, Hey, within this area, like I'm going to find a buck and kill him. And that's a awesome way to go about it. And that is almost, that. that's a different style than finding a buck and trying to kill them you're basically picking a spot and saying i can i can kill one here and i'm gonna figure out how to kill one here so that's cool in its own aspect you know i really haven't ventured into that a whole lot of like a specific like saying like hey this piece of public like i'm gonna kill one here but that would be cool to do someday like that's definitely on my list
2: yeah and uh, like i said it isn't it's not to prove anything to anybody except for myself to say you know i've figured it out and you know hopefully I learn more for for the next year but I've got a question for you like on all the hunting that you've done with your family and your style before you know you're filming you know with a mirrorless or DSLR like a very difficult setup killing giant bucks self-filmed you know how much were you filming prior to moving to Ohio
3: (laughs) So I bought that camera. I've I bought that camera and filmed my first like anything. The first time I pressed record on a camera was June of 2019. And I you could see it in the first film. The first film he came in and I didn't have like my hotkeys set up and I was I wasn't very well versed with my camera and it was out of focus. You know, that giant came in and it was out of focus. But I worked my butt off that whole year and last year I feel like my quality was a lot better. And then this year, hopefully that just multiplies again and it's even better. But so, I mean, I'm two years into running a camera at all. I basically hit the ground running, was like, Hey, I'm going to try to take some good pictures and dot and videos and document this thing along the way. And, uh, you know, on the, the other side of that too, though, growing up, my grandpa did film me with like a Sony handycam, but I never actually operated it. He would try to film me. And maybe that's why I got into filming was to like, you know, remember those experiences that we used to have together. But, but yeah, it was just out of the blue, man. It was, it was crazy.
2: Because that's an incredibly difficult system to run. I mean, it puts out incredible footage, but man, I mean, yeah, like you said, like not getting it in focus, but just all the moving around and everything like you're talking about hanging on the side of a, tree for two hours, you know, I can't imagine like the, the nerves or like, like setting up my camera arm or, or whatever. Um, and then having that be what boogered up the buck that I was hunting or, uh, you know, just that, that in its own right is, is incredible outside of the, the, the size of the deer, the caliber and the um, I guess the speed, I guess, in which that you've done it. So um, i would just curious because, you know, going th- it, back to that familial part of it. And that's why I asked, because it sounds like your family's a big part of like what you're doing, like for, for myself and, you know, John, you know, my, my father-in-law is his uncle. And, um, you know, I, I do all the editing and looking at the footage and going back through it. And it's like, you know, when I'm trying to put something together, I'm going back and I'm looking at all the the footage that we have over the past three years. It's like that in itself is like a trip down memory lane, you know, going, going back through, you know,
3: those experiences, good, bad, or, or indifferent. So. And that's like the editing process is so cool. You know, it's time consuming and monotonous over time, but the ability to look back at those memories it's just awesome. Like you said, you know, same thing. I've got videos of, uh, some family hunting around here, or, uh, a couple of buddies that we came to that have came down and stayed with me and we were just being goofballs in the stand or whatever. It was just, it's awesome to look back on that. So I definitely recommend filming for anybody that's on the fence. Just give it a shot. Honestly. I mean, it's, it's well worth it. Yeah.
0: Well, I was going to say one of these days I'll get a kill in film. But <laughs> <laughs> I've been, Carrying around the camera for a few years now, and I got some decent footage here and there, but it's just, you know, it's it's escaped me so far. Shot a doe and was on (laughs) the wrong deer, (laughs) you know,
3: but it is what it is. It's fun. Oh, it's a rodeo sometimes. I mean, I've been saying, you know, like, same thing, out of focus, on the wrong deer. They see you swing your camera arm around. It's like, oh, it gets a little crazy every once in a while.
2: Yeah. like I said, I just, I got to give you a lot of kudos for running that particular camera, that system,
0: and and, do, and killing the deer that you are. I mean, it's, it's nuts. Yeah, I've had enough time with a little handy cam. To, like, push the button <laughs> and point. <laughs> <laughs> yep, ex-
3: exactly. I appreciate it, though, man. It's a work in progress, but hopefully it keeps getting better and better.
0: So, one of the questions I always ask is, "What is your bow setup? What are you shooting?
3: What arrows, sights? What's your uh, what's your deal?" So, I've got a Matthews Triax, and um, I'm really not. I, I love shooting. I love shooting a lot, and I, I use a slider so I can dial it and do some 3D shooting around and stuff. But I'm not like a archery nut. You know, I'm not fine tuning like arrow weights or anything like that. I use Vector Custom Shop arrows. The reason I do is because I just put my specs in their website and they custom build me like really good arrows. So it's, it's super easy for me. I take all the guesswork out of it for me. Um, I've went back and forth on broadheads a lot. I've ran some mechanicals. I shot my last buck with a slick trick. The one before that, actually the three or four before that were with rages. And now I'm on iron will S one hundreds, just a solid, like, what basically what got me to the iron wheels was most of my encounters with good bucks are at a quartering too, you know, they're coming off their bed. I'm playing a just off wind and one way or the, or another, they're almost always coming in quartering. And so I really want the ability to push through that shoulder at, you know, like that 15 yard mark. So I went with iron wheels and I went with vector custom shop because they're some heavier arrows. So I think my arrow total is like five, six, 75 or 585 something like that um but yeah i mean i really don't focus a whole lot on it i've though i switched over to a thumb style release and the only reason i did that was filming because i kept clanking my wrist release off my camera arm you know i'd like go to a buck's coming in i'm watching him i have my bow in my left hand and i'm swinging my camera around and my release uh, clanks off my uh arm so i went with a thumb release this year so it's a little easier and less Messing around in the stand, but that's pretty much it. I mean, I I don't really plan on changing any of it. It's killing deer right now, and I'm I'm confident with it. I've had some bows in the past, you know, that I just went out and bought a new bow because it was the latest greatest thing, and I didn't build up that confidence with it. And I would either have a bad shot or miss one or just do something I didn't like. So I'm confident with what I have. You know, I'll switch strings out in probably a year, and that's pretty much it. Sounds pretty familiar.
2: (laughs) I mean, if you've ever listened to this podcast, I've shot so many deer quartering two in the neck. And the one I shot last year was the exact same way through the neck and then out the front shoulder on the other side. And the one prior to that, uh, I broke the front leg on the other side. (laughs) Um, same, very similar shot, but that, that hard quartering two neck shot is my, uh, Bread and butter here, so <laughs>
3: <laughs> I've, I've yet to neck shoot one, but <laughs> maybe someday. <laughs>
2: well, oh man, that's uh, I mean I, I i can't I can't count them on one hand how many times <laughs> I've done that. So, um,
0: well, it's effective, as as Uncle Frank would say, get an arrow in them. <laughs> yep, yeah, just
3: keep putting arrows in them.
0: Well,
2: Jake, I really appreciate it, and I think there's a lot of good stuff here you know, for the listener on all levels, um, where can everybody follow along with like what you've got going on um, and and all the things that you've been up to?
3: So if you guys want to watch the films that I have of a couple kills down in Ohio on public, you can look up legends of the hunt on YouTube. Uh, My Instagram is Jake Bush solo on Facebook, just Jake Bush. And I do post a lot of stories with like tactic talk or, you know i'll be down in a bed and i'll put a, like a 30 second clip on instagram or stuff like that that i think is probably pretty valuable um so yeah give me a follow be great awesome we really appreciate
2: it jake i think that's all we got for tonight's podcast
3: all right man thanks for having me on i appreciate it